This is Deep Dive, WFHB and Limestone Post Investigate, where we look into issues regarding health, housing, and the environment that directly impact residents of Monroe County. We are looking into trees in Monroe County, what trees we have, what benefits they provide, which trees to root for, and which to root out. This week, we spoke with social ecological systems scientist, Sarah Mincy, who works as a clinical associate professor at Indiana University and director for the integrated program in the Environment and IU Research and Teaching Preserve and is the managing director of the Environmental Resilience Institute. Mincy talked about her background as an educator and researcher. I'm a faculty member in the O'Neill School of Public and Environmental Affairs, where I teach urban forest management and I teach sustainability research methods. Um, I'm also the managing director for the Environmental Resilience Institute at IU, and I direct the integrated program in the environment, which is um, several academic programs that are uh, interdisciplinary, focused on the environment and sustainability. And as a part of the integrated program in the environment, we manage the research and teaching preserve at Indiana University. Um, my, my other role in the community is I am the uh, co-founder and vice president of the board of Canopy Bloomington, which is a new nonprofit that's focused on increasing tree canopy cover in an equitable way across the city of Bloomington. Mincy shared that her favorite tree in Monroe County is an old burr oak located on Indiana University's campus in front of the Indiana Memorial Union. In the city of Bloomington, we have a number of beautiful old uh, trees. Some of them are on public lands um, that that anyone can access. I am aware of um, the that in some of our parks we have um really some old trees that that are beautiful but the the one i guess one of my favorites is the um uh the oak that's in front of the imu uh on campus right um this is uh uh corcus macrocarpa right it's a beautiful beautiful oak and uh it's it's common name is burr oak and it's uh, it's probably nearing the end of its life. Um, we have the university landscape team has been managing that tree so carefully and so so beautifully over the last uh, you know years. I know there are plans to actually um, come in and, and use some structural support on some of the larger limbs, and those, that that's going to be installed in the coming months, I suspect. Um, but it's it's just such a testament to the history of the campus itself because of how large and stately it is and the fact that it's at this entryway to the Indiana Memorial Union, uh, which represents so much, right, about the university community. That is a place that we come together and we convene regardless of department or major or area of study. Um, it's students, faculty, and staff use that space. And, and I think that that's sort of a beautiful representation of, of what the uh, the OAG stands for, right? It's, it's there um, it, giving everyone who is in its presence benefits, you know, 
equally, right? They, it's, it's sort of, um, you know, this, this common good that we all share in, in the shade of a big tree like that and the beauty of a big tree like that. Um, so it's sort of a nice symbol to what I think the, the university is about in many ways. Mincy discussed the relationship between tree canopy cover and socioeconomic characteristics in cities. She highlighted that a lack of tree canopy cover in an area is often an indicator that the demographics in that area have been marginalized communities over time. There have been numerous studies that have looked at the relationship between tree canopy cover and the socioeconomic or demographic uh, characteristics of communities in cities. Um, Some of those studies have not found any kind of relationship that was significant, um, but most of those studies have found that there is a negative correlation uh, between canopy cover and um, an income so that we see in lower income communities and communities that are um, uh, minority uh, ethnicities and race, that there is lower canopy cover. We know that from a meta-analysis of all of these studies that, that have been done over the last couple of decades in, uh, across the United States focused on, on these questions. Now, of course, across the studies, um, there, there were different um, measurements of, of of a treed area or a green area, and there were ver- there were a variety of uh, measurements of what we mean by you know socioeconomic factors. Um, but in general, the the researchers uh, Watkins and Garish in 2018, they they did this meta analysis and they found in general there is this relationship. Um, a lot of that has to do with history and legacy on the landscape. In communities across the country, uh, there there was in the 1930s a practice of the homeowners loan corporation to uh, exclude black and brown people, immigrants, um, and and other marginalized communities from the ability to get a, a home mortgage. And this is a practice known as redlining. People will probably be familiar with that term and have heard a little bit about that. Essentially. Areas of cities were categorized A, B, C, D, or by color, and the red communities, the the redlined areas, were those that where uh, there were these racist policies in place. Don't give mortgages to the to these these folks. They're um, they're not likely to be able to uh, you know pay us back. Was the was the belief and the philosophy, and and now we of course recognize that this is just simply racist perspective. Um, the underinvestment in those communities that then follows because people can't own homes there uh, means that there is this legacy on on the landscape of uh, fewer fewer trees in the public lands um, and often also on private lands as well. You know, and then, and then of course that's one example of a of a very clear direct. Uh, policy impact on the landscape, but you can imagine also other reasons outside of the the Hulk history, right? That homeowners loan corporation history. You can imagine other uh, uh, racist strategies that have been implemented across cities in the United States that would have left uh, folks who are lower income or minority communities with lack of public investment 
And it does take money and it takes people, it takes human resources and financial resources to manage trees in the city so that they are actually quality trees that are producing ecosystem services and benefits. And if we don't invest in that management, um, we have pests, we have pathogens, we have development that removes those trees uh, over time and you tend to have less canopy cover. What does that mean for those communities? Well, it means that they not only don't have, you know, tree structure around them, but they also don't have the benefits that come from trees. Mincy delved into the benefits that trees provide to communities, which range from economic, mental, physical, and social advantages. She also spoke to the tree cover inequity in Bloomington and ongoing efforts to address it. They include everything from shading your home and decreasing the electricity and heating uh, costs and cooling costs of your home. They include helping filter the air and water uh, so when they improve water quality. They create um, the, the ability for us to manage stormwater. Their canopies capture precipitation as it's coming down, and it means less of that precipitation hits the ground and runs off quickly, so we have fewer flash floods when we have canopy cover. But then we move into the the all of the um, economic benefits of trees beyond helping you save money on cooling. They also can just increase property value, right? If you have a well-maintained tree on a property, the property value is higher. That's what studies show us. Um, trees outside of windows, you know, in, in uh, some studies have improved students' uh, learning. They pr- improve worker productivity. They improve uh, patient health outcomes. Um, So we know that there are mental and emotional and physical health impacts from trees. So um, and then there's a beautiful area of work that I'm I've I've been involved in, which looks at how people interact differently in environments where there are trees. If we have an environment outside that's sunny and hot, well, maybe neighbors aren't going to come outside and get together and get to know one another And getting to know one another means you're more able to work together and build trust and reciprocity and you can do collective action together. If you don't have those environments for social interaction, there are some studies that show that we we don't build collective um, capacity in a community. Um, So there are social benefits to having urban forests as well. Um, so, So again, structure leads to function, right? So if you don't have the trees, you don't have those functions that I was just talking about. So studies, again, across the U.S. have shown this relationship. In Bloomington, um, we also see some of these kinds of relationships where we have, uh, there are are particular areas across the city uh, with uh, lower canopy cover that are also lower income communities and otherwise marginalized communities. Um, So there is tree cover inequity in the city of Bloomington. Um, and so there have been efforts to uh, to attempt to, to correct that. I know that our uh, city government is aware of that from a 2019 uh, report that was produced by Davy Resource Group Consulting Group that, that came in and looked at the canopy cover across the city. Um, there are researchers at IU that I'm involved with. A lot of my own research has focused on this. And then there's this new organization, Canopy Bloomington, and their mission is to help to um, increase the equity of canopy cover across the city. So working in those areas where we have lower canopy and lower income communities um, to plant trees and and improve the canopy cover over time. She went further into how we should address tree inequity. Mincy outlined that it takes public investment, 
but also establishing relationships with underserved communities. She touched on some of the nuances involved in addressing tree inequity. We know that you can't just walk into a community and start planting trees. If you're the city government, you know, you'd be thinking about doing that in the public right of way. You know, a nonprofit might be trying to do that on private lands. There are lots of reasons that just jumping into something like that doesn't work. Of course, if you're trying to plant on private land, you've got to involve the the homeowners in um, putting those trees in the ground. And one of the issues there is that if you um, if you're if you're putting a tree in the ground in a community that is a, a low income community, you are um, presenting them with a future uh, burden in some ways, right? Future bit certainly future benefits, but also future burden in terms of the care and maintenance of the tree that would then fall uh, into the responsibility of, of the homeowner, right? And it can be, if anybody's ever removed a tree or had a tree pruned, you know that that's not an inexpensive task. Um, and so so that's something to be aware of. Uh, in the public right-of-way or on public lands, city government or, or nonprofit organizations need to be aware that if a community does not uh, understand or accept the trees, then that is not the place to start. You don't just start digging holes and putting trees in the ground. Um, we know the this from a really excellent study that was done in Detroit, Michigan, where there's a nonprofit organization called the Greening of Detroit. And um, these researchers from, from Michigan State looked at the rejection rates in neighborhoods across the city of Detroit where this nonprofit was attempting to plant trees. And they found that the communities, the neighborhoods that were rejecting trees had a really, really strong, what they called heritage narrative in their neighborhood. And those narratives went something like this. Uh, You know, back in the 80s, 70s, 80s, the city government came in and they just cut down all the trees and they were doing that so they could they could better um, have better surveillance over our communities. Uh, the police wanted to be able to better, sur- you know, surveil our communities and wanted to come in here and, you know, um, try to try to control our people. Right. That that narrative, it, be, it became it was the truth to the, the neighborhood. And there may be some truth to that. There is also the the historical understanding that the city government in Detroit was um, trying to ward off Dutch elm disease. They were removed. This was a blight that occurred in across the United States at that time. They were removing um, uh, elms, and you know, so so there were there was an understanding by the community of, of a motivation for the tree removal. Um, in the past that had a really negative, um, you know, intense sort of feeling to it, right? In terms of the relationship between the community members and the authorities, the government and the police. So if you're a nonprofit coming in, you know, with your yellow vests on, you look like authority, right? And and getting uh, a community to, to trust that you're there for their benefit is difficult when you have that heritage narrative in place. 
So, um, you know, some of the things that we know happen when communities don't accept trees, even if they're planted in the public right of way, are, are you know, vandalism. Um, I know of multiple cases uh, in communities that I've worked in where trees have been planted and then they've been snapped off, right? Because we we tend to plant trees that are, you know, one or one or two inch uh, diameter trees, so they can be broken. And um, and that is a you know hole in the bucket, right? When we lose uh, those trees, we're we're uh, that's an expensive loss to plant a tree. You know, the purchase cost of the tree and then the the initial maintenance of the tree that's hundreds and hundreds of dollars. And that's not something that that we want to do with public public funds. And we also don't want to destroy relationships with communities, right? So one of the first things we have to do is is to, to get into a community and understand where they're coming from. What is their perspective on trees? And it doesn't just, it also shouldn't just be about trees. It should be about what are your concerns? What, what's going on this, in this community that you need help with? Um, because the next, the other issue here is if you're a marginalized community that has not been prioritized in terms of other public services like sidewalk infrastructure um, or lighting in the community, um, then you can imagine very, very much that you might feel like, why are you coming in here with trees when I need my sidewalk to be fixed and I want my street light to work, right? Uh, particularly if it's the government that is coming in, the city government that's coming in to try to do the tree planting. So, so not only do you find out about their history, and their understanding of their relationship with authority and with trees, but you've got to also pay attention to their other concerns and their other needs. And if you can, address those first. Um, so these are some of the, I think, the, the best practices in the field when we're thinking about how do we enter into communities and help them increase their canopy cover. And the failing has come from organizations who have felt or believed that they can go into a community and simply tell them all the great benefits of trees, and then that there will be a, a wide acceptance of having trees planted there. It just simply doesn't work that way. We know that educating information, you know, information is not enough, right? We have to do more than that in a community. And that means sometimes prioritizing things that aren't trees. Next, we asked Mincy to walk us through some research on trees that she has done in Monroe County. She shared a study she worked on for her dissertation on residential forests and the impact that homeowners associations and neighborhood associations have on tree canopies. That study, that was um, part of my dissertation work. I, I looked at a hundred different, or maybe it was a few, few maybe 106, I think, um, different private residential parcels across the city of Bloomington. And they, um, I did a complete inventory, a census of all of the trees on every parcel. So there was a summer I spent, you know, navigating, you know, some, some parcels that were maybe had one large tree or what, maybe even one tiny tree, right? It was a newer development and there was no canopy covered. It was so hot. Uh, and then I'd go to another neighborhood that was like a jungle and there were hundreds of trees on, on even, you know, a quarter acre lot. It's pretty amazing the variation that you see. Um, one of the ways that I, what I was looking at there was, is there a variation um, in the, what we, what we see in terms of the tree canopy cover or the tree abundance or the species richness of trees um, that can be associated with 
differences in the kinds of people who live there or the kinds of communities that they're living in. The way I distinguish communities, I looked at homeowners associations versus neighborhood associations. So I'm really interested in how policies and governance strategies kind of impact the landscape. And so homeowners associations, they tend to you know, have the capacity to, uh, to enact policies that are, are more enforceable across private lands versus a neighborhood association. Maybe they have covenants, codes, and restrictions, but those were built, you know, those were created, you know, decades ago when the when the neighborhood was built and nobody pays attention to them anymore and there's no real authority. Um, homeowners associations, you know, they have more authority, it seems. So one of the interesting findings of that was that we we found that um, species richness was, was actually higher in neighborhood association parcels compared to homeowners association parcels. Um, and that was a significant difference. And there was, there was some influence of age on that. Um, neighborhood associations tended to be a little bit older than the homeowners associations that we looked at. And so that certainly could play, play into this. But when we controlled for that, we also saw one of the factors that was significant was, was the um, ability to, to make rules in a homeowners association. And interestingly enough, homeowners associations tended to have rules that were about make sure you don't have a dead tree on your property or a dying tree on your property. You must remove those trees that, you know, unsightly trees, that kind of thing, right? Um, so there were there were rules that were sort of um, pushing people towards removing trees. And in those circumstances, that might have been the appropriate thing to do, because if it was dying, it could have posed a hazard potentially. Um, but it's interesting to see that effect where it actually decreases the uh, species richness and the and the abundance of trees on property on those homeowners association properties. So um, I think it's interesting to think about the opportunity that homeowners associations have to actually say, let's increase canopy cover, let's play, let's require planting trees, let's require increasing the species of the of the uh, trees that we have across our community. Right. So that was that study. In her role at the IU Research and Teaching Preserve, Mincy has been a part of research around Griffey Lake. She shared a study that she helped conduct at Griffey, which looks into deer browsing and its effect on forest systems. Some of the more interesting studies I think that have gotten more attention, um, the, the Research and Teaching Preserve was the site of um, studies about uh, deer browsing and its effects on our forest systems. Um, we, some of the methods there were exclosures that kept deer out of the, of these plots. And so they were able to compare across dozens and dozens of plots, uh, the vegetation and regeneration of vegetation within the plot and just outside of the plot where there was a control plot that was the same size. And, and we see significant differences in a number of, um, uh, biological, um, factors. So they were looking at both at forest regeneration, but then um, all of the sort of other cascading effects that you would expect that if vegetation is different, then you would expect there might be also um, uh, differences in insects or mammal populations. It's, it's interesting. It helps us understand that overpopulation of deer really does have a direct impact on the future forest or lack thereof uh, that we will have in, in the Griffey area. 
Mincy explained that because of the Inflation Reduction Act, there are currently funds available to plant trees in cities with an emphasis on communities that have been marginalized. And then the last thing I just want to say is that the Inflation Reduction Act is just such an, a huge boon for urban forestry. We have uh, a billion dollars, over a billion dollars, is coming down from the federal government to help us uh, plant trees in cities, but to increase the equity of our urban forests. So the whole focus is go and, and work with communities who have been marginalized to be able to grow urban forests and urban canopy cover in those communities. And so at IU, at the Environmental Resilience Institute, we're, we put in a proposal to do just that across the state of Indiana. Canopy Bloomington here in, in Bloomington is gonna work towards putting in a proposal as well. If you are listening and you have any questions about trees you would like answered, or maybe you have a few trees in your life that you want to share with others in the community, you can email us at deepdive at wfhb.org, or you can leave us a voicemail at 802-552-3483. Again, that number is 802-552-3483. If you leave us a message about a tree, we would love to share it on a future episode of Deep Dive. Tune in next week to dive deeper and learn more about our local trees.